Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thanks for joining us. You're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Our guest today is fully invested in making our days and our lives a little bit happier. He is the creator of the Journey to Cloud9 initiative and set out on a mission to understand happiness in its simplest and most basic form. Meet Jordan Gross. I first came across Jordan and his work when I noticed an article he wrote titled, I asked six homeless people, what is the happiest part of your day? And the answers brought tears to my eyes. Jordan is a trailblazer for positive change, optimism, and the belief that our daily actions can help us all overcome stress and anxiety. Well, that's something I can get behind. (laughs) Also a writer, leadership coach, TEDx speaker, and self-proclaimed multi-potentialite. Welcome to the show. It's Jordan Gross. What's going on? What's up? What's up, Josh? How are you? Those were some unbelievably kind words, and I'm so grateful for them. That was one of my favorite intros I've ever received. So thank you so much for that. That was was really great. How are you doing, though? Wow, much better, much better. Thank you for uh, acknowledging that. I'm fantastic. I love these moments. And um, I love love everything about (laughs) you and about this. It's 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 almost difficult for me to um, get the um, launching off point uh, yeah. because there's so many great places I want to start. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to start with this one. You call yourself a self-proclaimed multipotentialite. I see yeah. some root word. I see the root word. Going back uh-huh. to class, right? That, what's yes. the root word? I have I a see, good story about that, yeah. <laughs> I see potential. In mm-hmm. multipotentialite, and you know, mm-hmm. multi is uh, many, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so what is a multipotentialite? Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, you know, I, I love everything that you're about. Just from seeing you and meeting you, you face to face right now. I, I know we're on Facebook Live for, but for the podcast listeners, I got the biggest smile on my face, which is uh, part of my daily goals is to smile as much as possible. But uh, so, hopefully, we do that a lot today. But anyway, to the multi-potentialite thing, because it's not, I don't think it's in the dictionary yet, but it is an amazing word. And I only found out about it like six months ago. And I saw this TED talk of a woman who said, basically, you don't need to know what you want to be when you grow up. And you could be more than one thing when you grow up. And she called that being a multi-potentialite. So it's like, when we ask our children, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? We shouldn't stop there. We should say, what else? What else do you want to be? Is there, if you don't just want to be an astronaut, you could be a teacher as well. You could be an athlete, right? So that was always me. I always wanted to be this professional soccer goalie, but I also wanted to, I was like a little bit of a nerd. I wanted to like study science and I wanted to um, be a teacher and all this good stuff. So ever since I was very young, I had, as the word says, I had multiple interests. And what a multi-potentialite does as they go through their life is that they are not afraid to pursue these different interests. So it's a person who at the end of their life, when they're telling their story, looking back, it is a very non-linear path. 
it's this winding road as opposed to somebody who maybe just had one particular job or interest and then just followed that one direction the entire time. So that's what a multi-potentialite is. And uh, I really started to embrace that when I got to college. There's something so fascinating about that because I've, I've in, in this current iteration of my life these days, yeah. um, I, I've, I've started to realize more and more that a lot of people I speak to embrace that role mm. instead of the old fashioned take on you have to pick a career right out of college, stick to it. And if you veer from it, you should not veer from it at all costs. And if you do, uh, you're flaky, you're flighty, you're noncommittal, and it has these negative connotations, but you're suggesting the different. So I'm suggesting that that works for me, right? We talked Mm -hmm. about it has to work for you. And, And by no means am I saying, or am I even dissuading anybody from taking one path and going at it, right? One of my best friends He's going to be a doctor. He's wanted to be a doctor since he was five years old and he has to go through all the schooling and he has to get fully immersed in biology and chemistry and organic organic chemistry. He's got to do years of residency and that's the path that he's going to take, right? And I would never, ever, ever say, dude, you got to, you got to find something else. You got to be a multi, multi-potentialite. That's just, that's just not the way it is. But what I am saying is if you are feeling unfulfilled, if you are feeling stuck, if you are uncertain, if you're in the right position in your world right now, then this multi-potentialite experimentation using life as an adventure kind of mindset is way more up your alley, right? And especially for me, if I think back to you know all the stories, all the people, the mentors who I love, the celebrities who I love the most, it was always the stories where it was like, okay, I started out selling newspapers and then all of a sudden I was selling copiers. And then I was working a security job and then I was doing a desk job. And then all of a sudden I had this big idea to sell candles and it became the number one candle company in the world, right? Like totally made up. But those are my favorite stories. They're the ones that really weave in and out. And it's like, how did that happen? How did that happen? But what I'm doing now is I'm taking all of these stories and people's lives And if they don't know what their purpose is or what fulfills them, I'm trying to connect the dots between those experiences and pick up on the core values behind each one so that the person can use the core values to pursue whatever else else is next. And that comes completely from my own story. Can you give us an example of what a core value is or may be? Yeah. So I'll give you a, a couple... I mean, I'll give you my three core values. So my three core values are number one, adding value to somebody without expecting anything in return. Number two, it has to be, my life has to be about building or growing something from the ground up. So that's about creation and creativity. And then number three, I have to, have to, have to use my greatest assets, which I believe are relationship building, communication, and uh, really just growing it with other people, right? So those are my three, I call them my three activities. So it's positivity, connectivity, and creativity. Is there a, is there a list or how does somebody begin to identify their own core values if they're not even sure, like, like if you were to say, hey, uh, what are your top three emotions in any, like, mm. I, I, I understand what emotions are. I, I, I can right. grab from that bucket. But core values, I know it's important. I know that yeah. as entrepreneurs and as business people and as people who just want to put good into the world and get good out of the world, yeah. um, how do, we, how do we get someone on the path to understanding their core values, identifying them, and then, yeah. God forbid, working uh, within them? Yeah. So, I mean, I hate to be salesy or, or talk about my coaching on the podcast here, but this is exactly what I've uncovered. This is the cloud nine coaching process that I've done with people to, to really realize their core values, and, and it's really what I've done for myself too. How do you do it? So, so you begin a dialogue yeah, with somebody? Exactly right. So basically I've I have now talked to over 200 people about their cloud 9 life and I've asked it, it's all based upon storytelling. Let's go I, back I to love, that though. If yeah. you could um identify yeah. that now that we're getting into that. What is yeah. somebody's cloud 9 life? 
is that their ideal version and, and lifestyle and scenario? Yeah. So a cloud nine life, it is going to look different. The, the specifics are going to look different for Correct. everybody. But I mentioned it before. A cloud nine life is pretty simple. It's a life where there is a, a predetermined or, or a, a path that you are supposed to be taking. And it's the person who, are you, who you're supposed to become. And it's filling the gap between who you currently are and who you're supposed to become. It's just how do we create a life so that every single decision we make, relationship we make, business we, we start, um, job we take, how are we shortening that gap so who we become and the person we could have became are, are as close to identical twins as possible, right? That's what the cloud nine life looks like. So as you were saying, you talk yeah. to somebody, you, you love storytelling. Yeah. I, I love storytelling. So I've, I've been uh, asking people to tell me stories. And I, tell, I ask for stories about cloud nine moments, you know, and, and sometimes they're just uh, peak euphoria moments, big accomplishments, having a child, um, getting married, things like that. But, uh, you know, these stories are very eye-opening. And I ask people about their cloud nine days, their cloud nine weeks. Tell me about a time when you really felt like you had a, um, a cloud nine meal, I ask a lot of the time because I love food. And as I hear these stories, I've been listening to them back uh, over and over again. And I've picked up a couple of key patterns that I believe go into all of these stories. So the key patterns are, one, playfulness, moments of play. Two, camaraderie, having relationships, having people in your life. Three is love, whether that's loving a person or loving a thing. It's this infatuation with anything in your life. Uh, number four is um, number four is responsibility. So that's having something that's much greater than ourselves. Number five is benevolence, just true acts of kindness. Number six is legacy. What are we leaving for the people who are still here when we're gone? And number seven is some sort of achievement or some sort of aspiration or a goal that you're trying to get to. Once, so what I do now in uncovering those seven things is I ask people stories to give me stories about those seven key ingredients and times in their lives where they have valued that. And then they tell me the stories. And basically I look at those stories and I say, okay, what are the underlying themes? What are the words that you use in these stories? What are the phrases? What are the paragraphs? Who's involved, right? And then step number eight, because this is a cloud nine coaching uh, process, is the realization. And it's this realization that in all the stories that you just told me or that I told myself, there is a theme or there is something that has to be uncovered and is uncovered. And then cloud nine is called resurgence because it's the opportunity to reinvent yourself now based off of those those characteristics that we've uncovered. This is this is so um, uh, relevant to me and where I am today. So mm. my brand, the Hidden Entrepreneur, was founded because I finally acknowledged that I've been spending a lifetime hiding behind fear, using mm -hmm. that as an excuse not to yeah. do anything. And I knew what I was capable of, but I would show up in all these situations seeking approval, yeah. needy, desperate, insecure. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and finally, um, you know, my, my two children are a big shift in my why today. And as you're talking about this, I, yeah. I can see myself in all of that. So yeah. I'm, I'm now reverse engineering it. But yeah. I spent a lifetime having put on my own label at a very young age that mm -hmm. uh, I'm not capable. Nobody wants me around. And I know that when you were young around 10, yeah. right, you had a moment where on paper you could have gone in, in, in one bad direction and, and led a life of uh, insecurity as well, mm -hmm. but you didn't. And I want to, I, I want to hear how, what was in place First, what, what that story was at yeah. that restaurant table, mm -hmm. and then how you were able at such a young age to, to confidently disregard what somebody was telling you. Yeah. Um, so this, this was a powerful one for me, and it's, uh, it goes to show that, that cloud nine moments are these realization moments where they don't necessarily need to be positive. 
I turn this into a positive, but they could just be reflective moments where you said, wow, like that was, that was big for me. That really something clicked. So that moment was, uh, I was 10 years old, like you said, and I was going out for lunch with my best friend, his dad, Zach, his sisters, Paris and Carly. And we just won a soccer tournament and we're big soccer players always growing up. And we went to this deli on Long Island called Ben's Deli. And Ben's. after <laughs> Ben's, yeah, that's right. You know, hmm. after, uh, after eating for me, I was, I was a bigger guy at the time after eating, you know, all my food, all of Eric's food, who's my friend, probably his sister's food as well. Maybe even his dad's food. Um, the waiter came over and this was a, a waiter who happened to be a great guy. And he's asking me and Eric about the tournament we just played in. And he's giving Paris and Carly crayons to draw with. And he comes over, he gives Zach the bill. So he looks at all of us and he says to Zach, so are them three yours? And he points to Eric, Paris and Carly. And you're the fourth and one. I'm the fourth one. The, the curious kid who chimes in and says, Hey, how'd you know? And uh, he looks at Eric and Paris and Carly. He looks at me, he looks at Zach, and then he looks back at me and he says, well, them three are skinny. And I could just remember the, hmm. the everlasting smile that was on my face just turned into a frown for like the first time. And I remember how awkward it felt. I remember even Zach being like, D don't worry about it, Jay. Like he, he didn't mean it like that. Like something, what would a parent say at that time? Um, and I, and you know what, when I think back on that moment, I think about Bruce's comments, I knew, like I just told you that I was a heavier kid, but nobody, especially nobody I didn't know is somebody who, who see, I seemed like was making a, a connection with. I'd never really heard it out loud before, just so blatantly like that. So, you know, I, I consider two paths now that we could take when facing any sort of thing that is daunting or stress or anxiety inducing or uncomfortable or challenging. Right. And I could have taken the easy route. I could have gone this way and said, you know what, Bruce is right. I'm a, I'm a fat kid and that's who I am. So I'm, I'm not going to play sports and I'm not going to get good grades and I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to sulk. But then there's the other path. And this is when you start to actually embrace who you are. This is when you choose what's more difficult, which is own who you are. And sure, you can make changes if it's things that you don't like about yourself. But for that moment, you, you just gotta, you gotta fully buy in, right? So I thought about myself and I said, okay, what else? What else is there? So I, I was cross-eyed at the time. So I had these big, thick glasses wow. and everybody called me nerdy and things like that. Um, I had long hair, so I was commonly mistaken for a girl. And my last wow. name's Gross, so people already were saying ew and disgusting and all that stuff before they even knew who I was, right? Not easy for a 10-year-old to not grasp. Easy. Wow. Not, not easy. But although it wasn't easy, I still said, how can I use these all to my advantage? And we'll get to the why in a minute, why I think it was that I was able to flip the switch at that mm. age. But basically, I turned each seemingly negative trait into a positive. And I said, okay, I'm bigger than everybody else. What's that going to do for me? Well, I used it to my advantage on the soccer field, on the basketball court, on the football field, on the baseball diamond, every single sport. I excelled that because I used my size to my advantage, right? Continued with me all the way to college. Um, my glasses, right? I, everybody was calling me nerdy. So I just kind of said, okay, let me be a nerd. Got great grades. Again, continued all the way, you know, with me till now. I, I'm still a nerd. Um, my long hair, uh, you know, people can see us right now. I, I, I cut that eventually. But, um, and finally, the, uh, the, the gross, the last name thing was that I knew everybody's going to laugh at me anyway. But instead, I said, okay, what if I laughed with them or what if I even made them laugh, right? So every, t every time I heard my name being called, instead of, you know, cowering in fear, I was the first one to say, ew, and then the whole class would start laughing and then I'd raise my hand, right? So <laughs> I, got, I became known as, you know, one of the funny guys. So that really became my persona. I was this smart, funny, 
athlete with the long hair rather than the fat kid with glasses who doesn't care about school or, or anything for that matter, right? And is crying in the corner. And is crying I in been. the corner. That yeah. would have been me. So, yeah. Playing the so victim, yeah, right? That's uh that's that's what it was. And it I, you know, every situation is about reframing for me. And, you know, I've, I've had a very privileged, a very blessed upbringing. Even now, I, I've had a lot of achievements, great opportunities, um, but I face adversity. I have failed. I have struggled. There have been some unfortunate circumstances within my life. And each time, it's just a reframing, right? It's a reframing of, okay, how is this an opportunity? How can I embrace this? How can I own this? Because I know I can't change it. So would I rather sulk? What is that going to do for me? Absolutely nothing. What's that going to do for other people? absolutely nothing. I know or, that that's the goal, yeah. right? That's the goal yeah. for all of us at, at any stage in our lives to reframe yeah. the, the, the meaning of everything or anything. And it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's our right and to our advantage to frame it in our favor, right? Yeah. When yeah. you were growing up, I'd love to connect the dots because uh, at, yeah. at 10 and, you know, yeah. even, even up until relatively recently, those kinds of things would have destroyed me, you know, if I heard those kinds of things and I had that trifecta or, or four yeah. piece of all those things going wrong. Uh, yeah. But that was, that was because I came into the world wearing that label and mm. looking for circumstances to validate it. Were you, I, I know you alluded to, you said uh, I, I was raised uh, privileged and yeah. uh, supported, but paint that picture for us a little, a little clearer. What was yeah. life growing up like for you? Was there any conflict or tension? Yeah, so honestly, to my memory, every single bit of my life was filled with love, laughter, Wow. support, community. And it was from my parents, the two most amazing people in the world, my grandparents. I was fortunate enough to live with all four until I was about 16 or 17. Um, my brother, my, and then also it was, it was friends and my friends' families. You know, it's like I call maybe six of my best friends' moms, my second mom, right? Um, it was the teams that I grew up on. So having all these great teammates in all these different sports and the families that they were a part of and the coaches that I had through those sports, it was the classroom. I really valued my teachers and the people who I met within my classes. Um, so yeah, I was just always in this very tight-knit, supportive community. But the one thing that was immediate adversity that I didn't even know at the time was that when my mom was... Uh, I won't say her age, sorry, I'll flip it. When I was nine years old, my mom was diagnosed with MS. Mm. And I didn't even know what multiple sclerosis was at the time. And to me, honestly, she looked the same, she talked the same, but she didn't walk the same, right? It obviously affects your legs. Um, so growing up, I, I had a mom who literally every single day battled to just get out of bed right? So every single step that I take now, because it's difficult for my mom to literally walk, I am grateful for, right? Every single like moment that I have where I can walk up the stairs or like put my pants on easily, right? It's just this attitude of tremendous grat attitude of gratitude that, uh, that I have because I see my mom struggling yet being resilient and overcoming her disease every single day when she could have chosen to lay in bed, to sulk, to not support her children as much as she does. But I'll tell you, you know, right now, she's never taken a day off. Not, it, not once. It's not a once. choice. It's a choice. It's That's all right. a choice. Let's talk about your, your life in the eyes of happiness, right? Because this is like uh, your goal. And um, yeah. is it true we could we could interchange that word for for joy or for film or fulfillment when we're talking about happiness? I will say yes to joy. I won't say yes to fulfillment. And here's why: I think happiness comes comes from the present moment, and fulfillment comes from a collection mm. of present moments. Mm. Right? So yeah, that's uh it, it's it's amazing to 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 piece it together like that. Mm. So um I 
I started this interview saying what what drew me to you was that article mm-hmm. I came across. Yeah. Uh, I asked six homeless people, what is the happiest yeah. part of your day? And mm-hmm. the answer has brought tears to my eyes is the title. Yeah. We can link to that article in and around here. Um, but um, I want to hear about this this project, if you will, yeah. uh, because it it's something that I guess when anybody reads that, or certainly when I read it, I was like, "Oh my gosh, where are we going here? Yeah. What did we What did we learn?" Yeah. So I, I wrote this article actually a while ago, and it was during the time. So quick backstory was I quit my job in November 2017, a corporate job, and I went into this world of of entrepreneurship. I didn't know I was going to be an entrepreneur. Um, Why did and, you leave that job? Anything there? Were yes. you just were you just unfulfilled? What happened? Un, un, totally unfulfilled and totally misaligned. The impact I was making. I was in a corporate rotational management and leadership program with a big restaurant group. I thought restaurants were my passion, so I thought I did a good job of following my passion. But quickly, I realized the disconnect between what I was actually doing and what I thought the restaurant world was going to be like. So, you know, the impact I was making was I was in Park Avenue on New York City feeding rich, you know, socialites, whereas my whole life has always been and always will be metaphorically about feeding the poor, right? Helping people who, who can't necessarily help themselves. So mm-hmm. just total misalignment. Um, November 2017, I said, okay, you know what? Bye-bye. I can't do this anymore. And I was just really as a somebody, I didn't have a, a true plan or anything. I wrote that first book, Getting Comfy, Your Morning Guide to Daily Happiness. Um, and I said, okay, what do you do with the book now? So I started doing some interviews, started trying to do some talks. Um, I started writing more. And I just thought I was going to you know, experiment and do, do cool things. So I'm living in New York City. And one day I went outside and I saw a homeless person on the street. And I decided to have a conversation. Imagine that. Go ahead. And yeah, imagine that, you know. There I was, I didn't have anything to do. So uh, we just started chatting. And by the end of it, I was just trying to learn about what makes this person happy, right? Because in its barest form, happiness, I, I always like to think very, I don't know what it is. I like to think differently about things, right? So if I wanted to find out about who was who or what makes people happy, then I wanted to ask the seemingly most unhappy people I could think of what makes them happy. Because if it makes them happy, then it should make you and I happy. It should make really rich business people happy. It should make Bill Gates happy and Jeff Bezos, right? So I, start, I, I wanted to talk to homeless people about it. And uh, some of the findings were incredible. And it took me a long time, honestly, because I was in New York City and homeless people talk about different things. And a lot of times it's hard to start conversations. And because there is, uh, you know, it's, it's challenging to be a homeless person in New York city. A lot of the times it was, what do you want from me or conversations didn't make sense. But I ended up with these six conversations that I can look back upon and say, okay, these ones, it was pretty clear by the end of these conversations that the more we chatted, the more I realized that in its most basic form, Happiness is the understanding that we are all connected, we are all human beings, and that we all matter, right? Me talking to these homeless people, was, it was the happiest part of their day because mm. they are so often ignored. They are so often shooed to the side. They are so often viewed as, as literally objects as opposed to people. That I, I, it took, you know, just having these conversations to realize that like, if you're, if that's, if if something else, if you need something else to make you happy, then I don't think you're doing it right. And there's such a fascinating point here, several, by the way, uh, but one that sticks out is that you said uh, in that obvious scenario, the happiest part of their day was talking to you because they are being seen, they are being heard. uh, And really, homeless or not, isn't that a fundamental and core need from all of us? Right, 100%. our our family, our children, our spouses, our coworkers, uh, the cashier, 
everybody just wants to be acknowledged and heard and seen. And it's just as simple as let's start there, right? Yeah. That's the win going about your day. That is a hundred percent it. And you know, a very similar article that I wrote is uh, the the most important words you could ask somebody is how are you doing today? And you mentioned you actually mentioned one of the people who I, I speak to in the article. It's the cashiers of the world. It's the crossing guards of the world. The the people at the, on the Chipotle line, right? People who sometimes can be overlooked as just cogs in the machine. Making them feel more human is the most important thing we can do for somebody's happiness level. Saying, hey, how are you doing today is really all that somebody needs to say, you know what? I'm really glad you asked that. I feel great. And they could tell you stories and they could tell you this and that. But uh, And what does that do for us, the person who asks? It depends on the person, I would say. I think for me, I get to hear stories, right? So I want to go further and say, you know, what happened to you today? Tell me, tell me something about your day, right? So you feel connected. Um, you definitely feel connected. The, the connectivity is definitely there. But um, yeah, I, that's a great question. You definitely feel connected. You definitely feel like you are contributing. And also, 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 it's this, ad, it's this again, it's this place of gratitude that you come from, right? You're, you're grateful because you know that you are going to change somebody else's life, right? Or day. Hmm. Including your own. That's right. Wow. So you, you were in corporate America just a a couple of short years ago, um, left that. Was that a, a long and difficult decision or was it like ripping the bandaid off and you're like, I'm out. Thanks, but no thanks. When you, when it hit you. So the duration of my corporate America stay was four months. And I think everybody would say that that is a very short amount of time. For me, it felt like forever. Um, When I actually did have the moment to leave, I'll I'll tell you this story here because I I think it's impactful. Um, This was one, this I think is my true cloud nine moment, my moment of clarity where all my values came together and I made the decision to follow and blaze my own trail down a new path. And I w- it was probably 4, 4.30 in the morning. I had just worked like a 15-hour day. I was the only person in the restaurant. And I was doing an inventory check in the meat cooler. It's freezing cold meat cooler. And there I was in like a nice suit and tie. Got these rubber gloves on, touching all the meat. And uh, I had to go back into the office to write down the meat count. And as I go back into the office, I notice that the door is locked. The one place in the world I needed to be at that time, the door is locked. So I couldn't get in. There's no spare key. Like I said, I was the only one there. I just sort of, first I like panicked, but then I took a deep breath. I said, you know what? There's nothing you can do. And I sat on the ground. As I sat on the ground, I don't know what it was, but I just said, what are you doing here? And I thought about being in that meat closet and I thought about what I was about to go right into our, our daily notes and it was the meat inventory and guest complaints. And, and I remember this so specifically, one of the guest complaints from that night was that the, our, one of our signature cocktails was like, like, a, like two degrees off of what it was supposed to be or something, something ridiculous. And I said, I just started chuckling. And I said, this is not who you're, this is not who you're supposed to be. This is not what you're supposed to be doing. And then I started asking myself more questions like five to 10 years out, if you're still here, what are you going to be doing? I looked at the people five to 10 years older than me doing the same stuff that I was. They were just making more money. And I said, are you monetarily driven? And I said, no, not at all. So then what the heck are you doing here? Right? So that was the moment of real clarity for me where I made my decision in that moment where I had to get out. But then it comes to my support system, right? And my mom and dad were going to be the two people who I spoke to. And the important thing I want to mention here is to think about where people are coming from when they're trying to give advice. So just think about that as I tell this story. Because when I went to my mom and I said, mom, I'm quitting my job today. She said, 
oh, you know what? Honestly, I think you're losing. I think you're losing weight. I think that's a good idea. As long as you're happy, you know, it's fine. And I just want you. I just want you to to be mentally healthy and physically healthy, right? So that that's my mom's role. And I considered her advice, and I said, mom's role is to look out for my well being. That's who mom is, and she wants to to give me all the advice in the world. But ultimately, she knows that it's whatever is best for me. So she was on board. Here's the interesting thing, if I could just interject for a minute, because some people might say, my goodness, my mother is going to, in her version, still be looking out for me, but it's the, you have a great job, you Mm -hmm. have security, you have a paycheck, you could advance in the career, you're relatively happy, you're crazy for wanting to leave. So couldn't that also be looked at as, she's looking out for you, she wants you to do the right thing. Absolutely. For me, that was, that was dad. So I'm about to get there. Love it. Um, so that's, that's dad. And okay. So now I'll consider point of view and say that my mom, this is why mom had this point of view. She has been a mom since my brother was born 29 years ago. So it's not like she was really thinking about career. It's not like she was thinking about that kind of stuff. She was thinking about, okay, I've been a mom and I need to be mom here. You know, my, my son, he, he's got this huge decision. I need to be mom, right? And then it was dad's turn to be dad. So what my dad said, and the background with my dad is that he is an attorney. He has his own law firm. And he's been an attorney since he was 25 years old. And he is 60 now. And his, uh, his father was an attorney. He started the practice that my dad took over. And that's all he knows. So he's had stability. He hasn't had this weaving and winding road. He, he was coming from a place with his guidance in which he was trying to tell me to reconsider. So that, that's when he said what you just said to me. You've got stability. You've got a good paycheck. You've got a prestigious role. You work so hard for this. We invested in your education, right? Um, and that's when uh, I, I had to actually, for the first time in my life, not follow or listen to my parents or my dad in this case. The number one, I think, thing that I learned through this experience, though, was that I ended up quitting, obviously, the next day. And I thought my dad was going to be really, really, really upset with me. But what makes me value and appreciate who he is so much is that Whereas he was acting as guide, 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 reconsider, think about your options, maybe plan this out more before I quit. Rather than being upset with me when I quit, he immediately transformed from from guide to number one supporter. And I think the next thing, you know, when I set when I finally said I'm going to write a book, his first question was, "How do we make it a New York Times bestseller?" It wasn't, mm. you should go back. It wasn't, don't write this book. It was an immediate number one fan type of role reversal. So what do we do? Yeah. I, 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 I um, love all of that. What do we do to address the person listening who acknowledges, mm-hmm. uh, you know what? I'm in that corporate world, yeah. but I just can't leave tomorrow for yeah. a variety of reasons that they yeah. justify right now. Right. Um, where do where do they begin to uh, to convert what you're saying into practical solution and inch towards the happiness? Absolutely. So I forgot to preface my whole story by saying that it's dependent on the person who you are. So I'm somebody who is very risk-seeking. And I was going to be okay with not having a job for a little bit because I don't care about resume gaps. And I I truly believe it's based on the stories that you can tell. So I, I, I sought out that risk. And the other thing I'll say is that even though it it was a risk, it wasn't a total risk. I don't have one of those stories where I had $20 in my pocket and I, I had to do the next thing right away and, 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 you know, refill my life with something that was monetarily beneficial. I had done some stuff in college and I saved and I 
I was in that corporate job that was paying me well. So it's like I immediately turned into a startup where I had my own burn rate, right? And I knew that, that I had a certain amount of time where I could pursue my own endeavors. What I would say to somebody who maybe is a little bit more risk averse, somebody who doesn't have that kind of burn rate is to slowly but surely, just like you said, inch toward whatever it is that you think is next and deliberately set out time to work on things on the side. So it's not just quit your job, pack your bags and go figure out what's next. It's, you know, give yourself three months, give, give yourself an end date, right? And if in those three months you, you haven't figured out what it is that you're going to do next and you're a risk averse person, then you need to give yourself three more months. And unless you're at the point in your current role in the corporate world where you are literally sacrificing your own sanity, then you should stay until you feel comfortable leaving. And this, yeah. this version of the person in the corporate role doesn't only have to be job related. This can be doesn't. a scenario yeah, exactly. where they find themselves in a, um, you know, in a, uh, in a relationship that is, that is so soul sucking or whatever their version yeah. of not good is, right. or just, you know, in a, in a place that is causing this, this grief and unhappiness. Yeah. That's, that's so, so, so true. It, it really applies to a lot of different areas. Um, but yeah, for, for me, the ultimate message though, for people who maybe are like me or, or who maybe you're not risk averse, but you don't know if you're risk seeking yet. It's all about the fear of the what if versus the fear of the what, right? So mm -hmm. for me, it was like, what if I stay one more day? Then I miss out on the opportunities that I could have had that one day where I quit, right? And I actually put myself like five years in the future and I say, do I want to tell the story where I look back and say, ah, oh, what if I would have just quit that job? Or do I say, I quit that job and I was not scared to see what happened next, right? So the what is less frightening or less daunting to me than thinking back to what if I would have done this or could have done this. Wow. The my brand, The Hidden Entrepreneur, yeah. founded on the, on the idea that I was hiding all this time behind fear. Yeah. Can you share a time with us where you found yourself overtaken by fear, but you knew you have to go in that direction and power right through it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for me, there was a time when I was in my senior year of college and all of my friends were getting jobs and every single, I lived in a, in a 12 person frat house at the time and every single other person around me was setting up this job and setting up this job and setting up this job. So for me, it was terrifying to be in a place of uncertainty because I wasn't really applying for jobs at the time. I was, I was uh, toying with the idea of starting my own business. I was toying with the idea of waiting an, a year to do something else. And it was so, I was so close to taking a job that I didn't want just because everybody around me was getting jobs and having salaries and having certainty in their lives as we finished our senior year. Um, but ultimately, it was a time when I said, you know what, for my whole life, I have been this person who in the back of my mind, I always wanted to do something different, always wanted to do something different, but I never really have. This is my opportunity to deviate from the norm, do something different from my peers and actually, you know, go into my, my next year without something that they have, right? So that's when I decided to do my master's program. I started my own company that year. Um, I went into the food world, all things that I thought were different until it's, it's like there's like a series of different changes and moments in my life uh, until I realized that even that wasn't the defining moment, right? And then it was, you know, quitting the job that was the ultimate, the ultimate thing. Hmm. Yeah. You believe that everything happens for a reason? I, I'm glad you asked that actually, because... I don't love that phrase. I think that everything happens and then it's up to you to assign a reason to it. Yeah. That's, that's how I view that. 
put the meaning, like we said earlier in the show, put the meaning uh, to your to your advantage. That's right. Find so that's the, where reframing yeah. comes into it. Yeah, I, I don't know if. Yeah, I, that's definitely how I view it. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways? I get asked that all the time and I never thought I was, but the way that I speak and what I like to listen to, I guess spirituality is a huge component of it. You know, um, I'm, I'm Jewish, but I was never religious growing up. Um, so definitely not religious, spiritual, maybe, but I'm not like, uh, not like a huge yoga person. I'm not like a huge meditation person. I think the the stereotypes associated with spirituality, I'm not, but I think the overall mindset, I am. Like I'm reading right now, uh, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, which is a very spiritual book, and I could not resonate more with it. I, I love that book, right? So, I, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll overcome my fear right here and just say, I, I do think I'm spiritual. Yeah. Where is the fear? I don't know. I, I think I never wanted to be considered like a spiritual person because as there was a stigma with it growing up. And uh, that, that's the fear, the stigma around it. Who did you learn that stigma from? People around me, um, maybe even society, maybe even the media. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So looking back on our dialogue here, what is, uh, what is the wrap-up theme that we're bringing to the table? What are we really saying? What are we talking about? And what can the listener do immediately following to make their lives better? I'm going to answer the second half of your question first, because the, the wrap up is my favorite quote. It's going to be the epigraph of the book I've got coming out soon. Um, and I don't, basically, I like to wrap up in the same way all the time because it's so impactful and it's, it's a line that gives me the goosebumps and in my life, it's all about interpretation. And I think to guide other people, we don't want to tell the answers. We want them to interpret for themselves, right? So I like to leave that quote at the end, not even give my opinion, and then just let it simmer in the minds of the listeners. But the one implementable thing that I will give to uh, you guys when you finish listening to this is I have three nightly questions that I ask myself where it's an opportunity for me to reflect on my day. And it's actually a competition with myself where I can't answer no to any of these questions two days in a row. Mm. So the questions are, did I smile more today than I did yesterday? Was I less distracted today than I was yesterday? And do I have more energy today than I did yesterday? So I've come up with those three questions based off of my, key, my core values and what I've learned about myself. And every single night, I ask myself those questions. And I can't answer no twice in a row. So the one thing that I would like to leave you with is, what are the questions that you're going to ask yourself every single night as you reflect on, their, on your day that you're not going to answer no to two nights in a row? I love the idea that you are not saying ask yourself these three questions. You personalize it and say, I don't know what your values are, what's right. important to you, but you said, find three questions to ask yourself wherein you will not say no two days in a row, which is intriguing because I thought you were going to say, I can't go to sleep until I answer yes, which is a right. whole different thing. But you're sort of giving yourself freedom. Yeah, absolutely. You Basically, it's impossible to answer yes. You know, if you're being real with yourself, it's impossible to answer yes every single day. You know, if somebody was counting the amount of times I smiled throughout my day, one day it could be 75, the other day it could be 74. It's just impossible to, to constantly answer yes. It's, it's more so the feeling of the questions, right? So yes, it, it is important to allow yourself to answer no. But you better not answer no twice in a row because then you lose the competition, right? Hmm. You're trying to beat yourself the, from the day before. And it, this, this whole methodology, this whole concept comes with the overall question, was I better today than I was yesterday? But for me, I think that's a little bit too general. So I like to really break it down into what is going to make me better today than I was yesterday. And for me, that's energy, 
less distraction, more smiles. So self-reflection is huge. Self-awareness is everything. I love it. I'm going to leave you with this final question. And then if you don't leave your wrap up within the Uh, final question, please share it. Okay. But I will leave you with this final question. Jordan Gross, how would you like to be remembered? Yeah, I think this fits in. I think the final quote fits in. I'm just going to go into it and then I'll, I'll say all good how I get there. And it's related to something we already talked about. But anyway, this quote I found online and there were tons of versions. And initially it was from Anonymous, but the attribution I'm going to give it to is Ed Milet. I heard him say it in this beautiful, eloquent way on an interview he did with Rachel Hollis. And Two it goes great as people. follows. Yeah. yeah, amazing. So the quote says, Somebody once told me the definition of hell, and it's that on my last day on this earth, the person who I became will meet the person who I could have become, and those two people are total strangers. But somebody also once told me the definition of heaven, and it's that on my last day on this earth, the person who I became will meet the person who I could have become, and those two people are identical twins. Chilling. Right? It's crazy. And for me to answer your question, I want to be the latter half of that phrase. That's who that's who I want to be. That's how I want to be remembered. Yeah. What a what a punctuation point to this <laughs> incredible dialogue. Jordan, thank yeah, you, man. Thank so you, man. cool. No, that was great. I, I love that so much. It really flowed well. And uh yeah, that was awesome. I, I hope people get something out of it. Something, certainly. (laughs) I appreciate it so much, and I appreciate everybody tuning in, whether it's right here to the live broadcast or you're catching this podcast in its native form on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, wherever you consume your podcasts. Go ahead, leave us a review. I love reading your thoughts. Thank you, Jordan, for coming on and opening up and sharing all of that with us. We're going to have another, another great episode not too far behind. Until we do, go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.